So just to kind of start off, um, my name is Trisha. I'm a reporter at UCLA Radio. Um, I'm here with um, Mr. McDowell, who is the founder of Unite the People. Um, would you mind starting off with you just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Cesar McDowell. I am the CEO and co-founder of Unite the People, Inc. And what we are is we're a nonprofit organization that promotes social justice throughout the United States, as well as we provide affordable legal services to the underserved communities throughout the state of California. So what we do is we have a staff of lawyers, legal team members, paralegals, law students. We had a couple of UCLA law students here uh, last semester that came in and interned with us. And what we do is we help guys that can't really afford or families that can't really afford legal services at your average law firm in the state of California, you know, where cases run 20, 30,000 and families just don't have it. So we feel that, and, and let me back up a little bit and say, I'm a formerly incarcerated person myself, right? I just did 20 straight years on a nonviolent crime. I didn't hurt anybody. There's never any allegations of that. It was the three strikes law, right? And I had an argument with my ex-wife who had a, an affair with, with a cop. And it was one of the cops that had taken me to jail. And we'll, we'll wait for that. That's the doorbell. But it was one of the cops that had arrested me one time. And they arrested me, took me to prison, took me to jail and came back and was having an affair with my wife. And I never knew anything about it. All of the neighbors were trying to tell me, but nobody wanted to say like the words, right? They would say, oh man, well, there are cops were at your house awful lot while you were gone. And, you know, I'm a fairly handsome guy or I was 20 years ago, right? But all of the women in the neighborhood were trying to date me, but I was married. So I would be like, man, no, I'm married. And, you know, I, I, you know, I wouldn't do that. And they all hated my wife, but I just didn't understand it. I was so young. I was only like 24 years old. And so I was so young. It never registered with me what was going on until one day I, I had a seven-year-old son at this time. Now, I had a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. The two-year-old's in the house with my ex-wife. And I'm leaving the house with my son. And there's a cop driving down our street. And my seven-year-old son stops and says, Dad, look. There's a cop that spends the night with mommy every night while you're gone. And so then it hit me like a ton of bricks, like you idiot. This is what everybody's been trying to tell you. Right. So I take him to school. I come back home and I ask her like, hey, you're having an affair. I'm expecting her to say like, oh, my God, no, silly. Right. Like, of course not. I'm like, hey, you're sleeping with that cop that took me to prison. And she just stared at me like a deer in the headlights. I'm like, no, right? So long story short, we did a lot of arguing. I'm throwing stuff around the house. There was never no physical violence or allegations of. I did curse her out, though. I did say, you know, I'm 24 years old. I'd be worried I would kill you sleeping with the cop that took me to jail. I packed my stuff up and I'm leaving. And as I'm leaving, she had my two-year-old in her arms and I'm walking out the door. Now, she knew I was raised by a great guy, right? My father was a famous musician, Motown artist uh, by the name of General Kane. <clears throat> and she knew that, you know, I loved my pops, right? I always wanted to be just like him. I wanted my kids to know, like, pops is here for me type, right? And so that was, you know, she's like, oh, you're just going to leave your babies, and so I turned around, I was going to my car to leave and I turned around and I tell her, be where, get back at the house. And I get in my car and I leave. I didn't say be where I said the actual word. Right. And I get in my car and I leave. Well, the state of California has the three strikes law. And which I'm totally not thinking I could get life for cursing at her while I'm leaving. But what ended up happening was I got three life sentences for that. What story I just told you. They gave me life for telling her, be where I will kill you for sleeping with the cop that took me to jail. They gave me life for child endangerment, said while I was arguing with her, I wasn't worried about the welfare or well-being of my two-year-old son. They gave me life for false imprisonment when I told her, be where you back in the house when I was leaving. And so they gave me three life sentences. 
during that three life sentences, I did 20 straight years. Um, but six years ago, I actually started this nonprofit organization from my prison cell in San Quentin State Prison about six years ago. And while I was incarcerated, one thing that I saw a lot of was guys that just couldn't afford your legal representation. Like my story is not the only story. There's thousands of them. And you're like, man, you got sentenced to what for? Like, come on for that. And guys like, yeah, yeah, I got this and that. And so what seemed to be the reoccurring theme was guys could not afford good legal representation. They have a public defender, you know, that whatever you know, public defender they have may have 300, 350 cases going at the same time. They don't have time to stop and represent each person the way they should. So it's like, you know, they're running them through back and forth, right? Please excuse the noise, it's my office. But so you just start seeing a lot of that. And then as time went while I was in prison, you know, I was seeing guys that, and we'll touch on that later. But so I contacted my brother one time, you know, I, I, I got tired of seeing the police killing the black and brown kids in the streets for no reason and then getting off and nobody can do anything about it. You know, we might ride and rally in the streets, but nobody's holding these police accountable. Nobody's pressuring the DAs to hold these people accountable, right? So it's just, it was the culmination of the two, you know, these guys can't, don't have good representation and then seeing that. So I just wanted to do something about it. So about six years ago, I contacted my brother, Mitch McDowell, who was out here in Los Angeles. He's still out here in Los Angeles. And I told him, like, hey, look, man, I, I really want to do something to help these people. Like, I just feel sick sitting here knowing I'm smart enough to figure something out. Everybody always says somebody needs to do something about this. But nobody ever says I'm going to do something about this. Right. And I don't know if you're familiar with Tupac. Um you should be, I think, or most people are, you know, he used to always say there's power in numbers, right? If you ever watch any of the movies, uh, the documentaries, and I've, I'm a true believer in that. We may not have the money. We may not have the political power, but what we do have is we have the numbers, right? And if the people ever are serious about something and come together and unite for whatever the reason may be, then that's how you get things done, right? Hence the name, Unite the People, right? Um, but so I told my brother, like, hey, I want to do something. I want to start a nonprofit. I want to find lawyers that actually care. We don't want lawyers like at the time, you know, the immigration thing was big. And they were treating the immigrant people like dogs, like you just and you got lawyers benefiting, profiting off of them. Right. I personally knew lawyers coming from the background where I was raised. My family had bail bonds offices and law offices. So I personally knew lawyers that were like telling me, like, man, this shit's a gold mine. Oh, excuse me. Um, this stuff's this stuff's a gold mine, right? Like, what are you talking about? Like, oh man, I got so many immigration. I'm um I'm, I'm advertising in the La Opinion in LA. I'm making a killing. Now, don't get me wrong, I get it. Everybody has to make money. But I don't want to make a killing off your misery. I will help you. And if that betters my financial situation, then great. But my focus should be on helping people. And that's how I feel. And that kind of was what motivated me. Like, man, you know what? Somebody, again, that's that. Somebody has to do something about this, right? But so we, I wanted to be somebody that actually, instead of saying somebody should do something, I want to be somebody that did it. So I contacted my brother. I want to start a nonprofit organization. Now, being in prison, you weren't supposed to have cell phones, right? Nobody's supposed to have cell phones, but everybody does. The COs come, they sell them to you, and then they search you and take them back and sell them to you again, right? But I had a cell phone, and I, I filed our articles of incorporation from my prison cell at San Quentin State Prison. I built our first WordPress website on the cell phone. You might be familiar with WordPress websites, but... Um, so I built a WordPress website, got us up and going. My brother out here, Mitch McDowell, was the face of it. 
And as soon as we started the organization, like literally within a couple of months, there was a law that passed, uh, Prop 57 passed. And like it was supposed to, the people got it overpassed. They got it passed overwhelmingly. And then it was it was a prison reform. People with nonviolent crimes that had life, like myself, had a chance to go in front of the board to go home. And the governor put in that bill that this prison has discretion, so they don't, re, uh, you know, uh, release any violent people. They have the discretion to release who they want, thinking that the prison system would follow the rules, of the law, and you know, talk to guys like me that had these nonviolent crimes, and. You know, but well, the prison, and I'm gonna make this story quick. But the prison system came up and said, Hey, look, he gave us discretion, we're not releasing none of you guys, and they didn't release nobody for years. And so, that just so happened to be right when we started this organization. And so, like, our first month, we ended up getting our first 30 days, we probably got close to 70, 80,000 emails from families saying, Hey, can you help us? Whether it's immigration, whether it's guys that are in prison and they just told them that even though this law passed, they're not going to do anything about it. And so that's kind of what started us. And it just so happens that there's a lawyer that we brought on as our president, a criminal defense lawyer from Los Angeles, and we brought him on as the president of the company. So people were seeing this on our website that there's a criminal defense lawyer as president of this nonprofit. So we just got flooded with calls and we started helping them and helping people. Um, and we were doing it at literally maybe 5% at the most 10% of what the average law firm charges. And so we ended up, my brother and I, we hired lawyers. We wouldn't hire any lawyer. They had to be advocate lawyers. You had to have already done work for the people and we knew that you cared about people. And we don't hire any staff members here that don't have loved ones that either been formerly incarcerated or been deported. You have to have something where you care about the people, right? And so that's what we did. That was about six years ago. And I actually ran the organization with my brother from my prison cell at San Quentin for uh, about five of those years. I was released from prison about a year ago. And... You know, I came home first day, started working here. We do a lot of work in the community. We we work with the homeless. We do reentry programs. Uh, we help guys get jobs that are, you know, formerly incarcerated. Um, there's a lot that we do. So that's the really long answer to your question. Thank you for sharing that story. I think that's the fact that you just got out about a year ago and this organization's been going for about six years is is so inspiring um so you talked about like like the the idea of unite the people is really like community-based um like right. you have like you have the numbers to make change so what is kind of the goal of unite the people moving forward like what do you hope as a community you can accomplish well one thing that we want to do right it's we're a two-part organization one providing affordable legal services for the people. Like people need to be able to get the help they need to get without saying, oh, I can't help my family because I don't have enough money. And spreading that, right? We, we plan on opening two United Peoples in every state in the United States. If you looked at our website, we're currently working to open in Philadelphia. Um, there, and there's a lady by the name of Carmen Johnson, Professor Carmen Johnson, out of Washington, D.C., and we're going to be working with her to open uh, a couple offices in Washington, uh, Cleveland. There, there's a few other, right, few other states. So that's the goal. We want to we want to be a two-part organization. We want to be able to help the people with those legal services. We want to help the communities with reentry, with guys getting out of prison. We want to help the youth. And when I say youth, I mean 13 to 30, right? We want to help the youth not even go to prison in the first place. One thing that I learned being in prison, there were so many young guys your age, back when I used to be your age, right? And I'd be sitting there, and it's a bunch of us that could have been in college. But these guys coming from, I don't want to say only the black and brown communities, but coming from the disadvantaged communities, 
I used to sit there for years with these guys and like, man, this guy could have been a CEO somewhere or, or, or some type of corporate guy. But instead, what, what, what are you in here for? Oh, I'm selling dope. Uh, selling drugs. His dad sold drugs, cousins, brothers. And that's the norm, right? In our communities, that's the norm. So, you know, they just didn't have access to the same opportunities as other people. And I, it, it's so easy to see. Now, you can see a bad seed, a guy that just wants to bring problems. They are there as well. But the vast, and this is probably like people won't believe this, the vast majority of young guys in prison are regular young guys. The guys that are in there about your age right now, you remember them, the ones walking around with their pants sagging and all of that. They're in prison now. And they weren't really bad people. They may not have had the same advantages that we've had or the same access to opportunities that we've had, but they shouldn't be in prison for the rest of their life. You know what I mean? I was 24 years old and the judge actually sentenced me to three life sentences where nobody got hurt. There was not even an allegation of uh, someone getting injured. So that just tells you the way the system is set up. We need to start catching these young guys and women, young men and women, before they even get to that chance. And then the ones that are your age, and this is not a knock on college kids. I love college kids because they're going to be something one day, right, for the most part. But they don't have UCLA. You know, for the average people in the community, their parents can't afford that. You know what I mean? So we want to kind of give them access to the opportunities that you may have after you finish school. You know, if we don't catch them now, they'll be in prison by the time you're out. So one thing that we're doing and I know this was in the list of questions, but one thing that we're doing is we're doing a tour. It's called the Unite the People Community Outreach Tour. And what we're doing and we're bringing in, we're going to have a tour of universities, junior colleges. And it's not necessarily something that we're doing during, we're doing it during the weekend. So we're not actually targeting the population of, the university, we want to include them for every university or every junior college that we start at or that we have our event at, we want to include their student body. We want to include their entrepreneurial classes, their business classes, their student bodies, all their different groups. And what we're doing is this, we're going to be bringing in a panel of about eight people, right? We're going to be bringing in of course, athletes, entertainers, that's the norm. That's what everybody does, right? But what I'm going to bring in or what we're going to be bringing in is the average guy that just happened to have access to that opportunity. We're going to be bringing in those guys. You know, we're not going to have the same old stuffy guys saying, hey, you can do it. We're not doing that. We're going to bring in people that the, the young community can relate to. Right. For instance, there's a guy by the name of Todd Perry. He's on our advisory board here and he's 20 something years old guy out of Philly, regular guy came from the same communities as everybody else. But he's our director of marketing. He's on our advisory board, but he's also the vice president of STEM distribution company, one of the largest music distribution companies there is. He signed artists, artists like Tory Lane, Sweetie. A bunch of them were signed under this guy, right? And he's so relatable, it's insane. Like, I have to get him to stop punching me when we're around. He's not that stiff type guy. I want to bring a panel of about six to eight of those people in. We're going to, uh, myself, we're going to be trying to show the community how to file your own articles of incorporation, how to start your own businesses, how to become a CEO. We're going to invite the local, for every college we do, we're going to find the local businesses. We're going to invite them in. And we're going to have them come in and be able to talk to the community about the pros and cons of starting your own business, whether it's a brick and mortar, you know, mom and pop, a, a online service or business, a mobile, whatever it may be. We're going to invite them in, let them talk to the, to the community. And, but one thing that I wanted to do different than a lot of people do, 
people have these events or these job fairs or whatever they may be, but they don't plug you with nothing. When you leave there, you're you like, yeah, but, but what I like is the fact that I'm a formerly incarcerated guy. One of my closest friends, Tejas Gata, is one of the head accountants at Apple, right? One of my closest friends is the son of the owner of the Golden State Warriors. He's assistant GM. He'll be taking the team over after his dad. These are my close buddies. I met him in prison, right? I met him at San Quentin Prison. I don't know if you've seen the documentary called Q-Ball about the Golden State Warriors coming into the prison. playing. If you did, you'll see me in there. I'm the heckler guy, right? But I'm not tall enough to play, so I just talk, right? But these guys are my buddies. A guy named Dan Wool, one of the guys who worked for Tesla. Now he's back at Harvard University or something to come back to. But those are some of the people that I've became buddy-buddy with. And if there was, if this wasn't what I was doing, I have connections to go do something else and make grown people money, Right. And that's what I want people that are coming to these events. That's what I want them to do is when the, the, I want to say the youth or the young man, young adult, whatever, maybe young woman, when they leave, before they leave during this event, I'm going to be bringing in, we're going to be bringing in wholesalers, vendors. We already have a busload of sponsors for this tour and we want them that they're going to be sending out their representatives that might be offering some type of franchising, some type of, you know what I mean? I want you to leave there and go like, man, I'm plugged, you know, instead of me out here for the young community, instead of them out there selling pills and re-upping on selling drugs and doing something wrong, let's stop it in the beginning. Let's give them access to that dream. And when they leave, they're like, man, I'm plugged with Apple. I'm plugged with Tesla. Uh, This is what I'm doing. And then they don't have to do that. And then that's not all. I I feel like a game show, but there's more. But there is, right? Um, We have reached out and we have spoken to guys like Tory Lanez. Tory Lanez is on our advisory board. We got a hard commit from Tory. They've spoke... Uh, if I'm correct, to Chris Brown, they're supposed to be speaking to Drake. Um, we're we're going to bring these celebrities out to these events, not only to talk to the community, but to perform live. About three songs, each artist. After the event, we're going to stream the entire event live on social media. And I want to make it something that where everybody wants to be there. Everybody, if you make it cool, then, and I'm just being honest, hey, I'm old, that might not have been the right one, but if you make it to where everyone in that community want to come out, I want to actually make a change. I don't want to just do events, you know what I mean? That's, yeah, great. I want to do something to where we can look back five years later and say, you know what, look how many kids or how many young men or women took advantage of what we did, got plugged up, and you can actually see a change in the community. I want to see the ghettos, turn middle class. I want to see the young guys not have to say, oh, we're going to gang bang and shoot up each other because my mom moved on this block out of high school. Your mom moved on this block. Now we have to kill each other. That's just insane. To me, right. And so that's what I'm doing. That's what we plan on doing. I'll stop talking now so you can do your interview. No, you're good. That was the great answer. Um, I guess you talked about like the, the value of like concrete opportunities and not just like like events that are there for the purpose of entertainment enter- entertainment and existing um, without any kind of like like real value or like plug for people who right. need that opportunity. Um, right. Was there was there I guess you already answered this question, so I'll move on to the next one. Um, like when you realize that, that there was this need for both legal services and like opportunities for young people when you were at San Quentin um like what was the kind of process you said you only had a cell phone like what was the process of forming Unite the People while you were incarcerated like were there any like challenges to that how did that work oh are you serious absolutely (laughs) no no no. I'm gonna give you the challenges right um that was a great question and a lot of people don't understand the level of challenges right this is prison 
this isn't your community. This isn't UCLA. This isn't USC. I said that so everybody can go, right? But no, this is actually prison. So I used to be on the phone, you know, hey, United People, how can I help you? I literally ran the business from my prison cell with the help of my brother. So I couldn't tell people I was in prison. Nobody knew about me. Everybody only knew about my brother. If you go back and Google articles, no one mentions Caesar from years ago. They only knew about Mitch. And I would be right there, hey, United People, how am I help you? I used to wake up in the mornings. Breakfast at San Quentin Prison is about 6 a.m. I'd wake up, go have breakfast, come back. I, you can't tell right now, but I used to work out every day after breakfast for about an hour. Hey, I'm a realist, right? I look like a, a, a cabbage patch dog. But I used to come back from breakfast, workout, shower. I'd be done by 7.30. From 7.30 in the morning until 1.30 the next morning, I was doing something to further the organization. Like I saw a dream and, and I tell people this too. This is not me. This is God's engineering. I promise you, because things happen for us that when, when you go, like, oh, wow, we don't have money for payroll, this, you know, whatever it is. And because this is a nonprofit, nonprofits are hard to keep the lights on. We've been open for six years. For six years, we've been month to month. We've been paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, I'm not one of the people that cry, but this is not profit. You have to tell like I haven't even paid my brother or myself in the last two months. It's a nonprofit. So you got to remember, you're starting a nonprofit from prison. So there was times that I would be on the phone trying to help the clients. Now, we could raise the fees and we'll make a ton more money. But if we raise the fees, that boxes those people out that can't afford those fees. So we don't want to do that. That's the goal. Help those people. Right. So I would be on my bed doing the calls on my prison bunk on, on the fifth tier, right under death row. Death row is the sixth tier. Uh, and nor I was in North Block in, in San Quentin State Prison. I'd be on the fifth tier on my bed talking and, you know, unite the people when the police would come to the door and seals would come McDowell mail call. And I'd have to fake sleep, hide the cell phone. Fake like I'm waking up. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. McDowell, my mail. OK. And, you know, you 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 go through times. There's been times where the police think you have a cell phone and I'd be in there talking to clients and they would come running through the door, gaffle me up, wrestle me down, take the cell phone. And, you know, that was four years. Like I said, we started this organization about six years ago. I've been out here for five years. There's times where there's riots going on in the prison and you, you have to say like, you have to make a choice. Do I want to get involved in the negativity, but I'm actually building something that I can see that will help people. So you have to make that choice. So I made that choice and just like, you know what? I can't do that. You know, I have to focus on helping the people. So yeah, it was absolutely, we did a three strikes initiative to change the three strikes law back in 2017 uh, I ran the campaign from my prison cell with the help of my brother. Like I literally got the initiatives printed up, sent out people signing up. We have thousands and thousands of volunteers. Uh, we're, we have a pretty good grassroots following, right? And not social media, grassroots following. We have to still work on our social media. I was in prison. I didn't know how. I didn't know anything about Instagram. Uh, I just learned about Instagram since I've been home. People used to say like, hey, join Instagram. My brother made me a login and all that. And I went on there and I did not know how to work it. You got to remember, I've been in prison 20 years, barely even know how to run these phones. And so, you know, I'd be in there like Instagram. I didn't. So we never did that. Right. But there, there's a lot of challenges to start some from prison. And, you know, whether it be financial, whether it be physical, whether it be mental. But I used to literally wake up. By 7.30, I'm done with breakfast and everything else. And I'd work to about 1.30 in the morning, go to sleep and do it again, literally seven days a week for years and years and years. I did not stop. I took no breaks. But when I pray to God and say, God, we need this bad, I promise you it shows up every single time. There has not been one time that I've said, and I'm not so super religious guy. I don't go to church on Sundays. I don't, but I just have to tell the truth as a truth. 
I'll pray for it, say thank you for it, and it shows up. That's the truth. So as like you talked about building this team of, of attorneys and volunteers and, and staff um, who were kind of as invested and passionate about this cause as you were, like, how did that process go? Like, how, how was that building this team? Uh, it, it, it was interesting. You know, we had to start in the very beginning. There were, there, you know, it wasn't money financing. You know, my brother and I had to finance this thing from its inception, right? And even to this day, it's been so much work. We haven't even had a time to stop and focus on funding. We're 0% funded from anywhere, right? It's just strictly the work we do. But starting the organization, you know, the challenge was not having the money. So we had to find people who had loved ones that were impacted by the system or by immigration or whatever it may be and ask them, do they want to volunteer? And we had a lot of people that would tell my brother and myself, like, yeah, we'd like to volunteer. And we had a whole staff of volunteers and it just would snowball and more volunteers and more volunteers. And then sometimes less and less and less. So, you know, it went up and down until the point came where we started providing the affordable legal services. And then even then, like our highest fee at the average law firm, our rate of habeas corpus, just percent, right? Our rate of habeas corpus is about $20,000, $30,000. When we first started, our fee for rid of habeas corpus with our attorneys was $1,500, right? And so that doesn't stretch a long way, meaning as far as staff-wise, right? So we started there. Right now, it's about twenty, thirty thousand at the regular at your average law firm, and here we unite the people. It's about three thousand dollars, twenty nine hundred dollars, and so that that creates a challenge, you know, in itself, staff-wise. But for the most part, there's so many people that believe in what we do. Uh, there was even, you know, some junior colleges professors that would have their classes actually get credits for coming and working with us, interning with us. And so um, that's where we started. You know, we started with some schools doing that. Then we started advertising on different college, uh, the links UCLA. Um, we've had, like I said, we just had two UCLA law students um, just a couple months ago. And we've probably had about seven, eight UCLA law students within the last few years. And they come in and turn, but that, that's just how we grew. That's how we built it. So you talked about how it's, how young people has grown and like snowballed through the years. Um, and you have this tour coming up and, and all these things that you've accomplished, like for you personally, what kind of event or accomplishment or even like a story has been what you think like has been your greatest like triumph in this journey? for these like six years since you've been doing this? Right, well, that answer is two part. One, it started this organization with my brother, right? We start working with Mitch McDowell on the organization, starting the organization and bringing it into existence from an ideal, right? It was just a concept to the point that it's at now. That's huge in itself. But one of the major accomplishments that we've had was we worked with the governor uh, uh, Gavin Newsom and uh, Senator Nancy Skinner's office. And when COVID first hit, you know, they weren't allowing any staff, anybody that wasn't, you know, prison staff into the prison. So the guys that were involved in rehabilitative programs, trying to get themselves better, make their lives better, get themselves straight, the people couldn't continue to come in to help them. So what we wanted to do was we helped 130,000 people in the state of California get credit for a time that they wanted to do these rehabilitative programs, but they couldn't. We got them credit for that due to the COVID pandemic. So I think that's one of our, our biggest achievements in, in my mind. And, and I guess one of the other achievements that you talked about a little bit and that has been kind of personal to you is the like protesting against the three strikes law and like the mm -hmm. impact that's had. Um, so one of United the People's major achievements has been writing the People's Fair Sentencing and Public Safety Act in 2018. Could you like right. talk me through what the act is and like what led to its formation? Yeah, so 
the People's Fair Sentencing and Public Safety Act, it, it, it was focused on guys that had nonviolent three strike cases that had life in prison, right? Been there for decades. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of guys that you it would blow your mind to see all of these guys, men and women, that have cases like, for instance, there was a 65-year-old guy by the name of Ronnie Shaw who, yes, he shouldn't have done it. And I and I don't condone any crime. If you do a crime, hey, that's your fault. You get in trouble, you get caught. That's part of doing the crime. But Ronnie Shaw, 65 years old, he stole a Visine bottle. He was addicted to drugs. And somebody that had the drugs said, go get me a Visine bottle. He went and stole the Visine bottle. Clerk tackles him down. And they give this man life in prison. He's 65 years old. You sentence him to 25 to life. That's essentially a death penalty. So you're going to give this guy a death penalty for a Visine bottle. There's no humanity in the system. So, you know, running this initiative, trying to get this initiative to the ballot and educating the people. We did a lot of media on this and trying to educate because a lot of people don't even know that three strikes really still exist. You know, there's been so many little things that chipped at it that they didn't know that, hey, wait, it's still there, right? If you're not involved, if you're not, you know, really impacted by it, you think the last proposition totally took it away and it didn't. So uh, that was huge for us. And, and, and to answer, you know, to add to that, there, there's another organization that is looking to do the same thing. They're doing an initiative, trying to move it towards the ballot. Right now, they just contacted us other a day, asked us, will we join them? So United People has joined them in that. They've actually shipped pallets of signature gathering documents to us. And we're going to take another strike at it. We're going to take volunteers. If anybody from UCLA wants to evolve, get involved, any students, you're more than welcome. Um, and we're going to go out and get signatures, whether you may come and say, hey, give me two. Each signature sheet has like 10 signature slots on it. You might say, hey, give me a couple of those and just have family sign them or, you know, people at your campus sign them. So but we want to get rid of the three strikes law. It's just too unfair. It's done based on profit. You know, they get eighty eight thousand dollars a year per person in prison. They have one hundred thirty seven thousand people in prison. And so for them, it's profit-based. It has nothing to do with prison or rehabilitation. Reform has nothing to do with that. It's about money. And so we're going to start, like, literally right now. They came yesterday. And within the next couple of weeks, we're going to be out gathering signatures and, and trying to help take the three strikes law away now. And if anybody wants to volunteer, all you have to do is give us a call at 888 888- Two four five nine three nine three, or contact us on our website. We have a volunteer button or a contact us button at unitedpeople.org. So in all these years working at United People, has there been a case um, in the past that's particularly stood out to you or kind of or helped you realize that the, the impact that United People is having on like its people and the people that it chooses to help? Right. Absolutely. There's two of them uh, that stand out to me a lot. And one is a guy by the name of Alan McIntosh. If you watch the movie Q-Ball, it's a documentary. It was on Netflix for like two years and now it's on Fox, Fox Sports or FX or whatever. Right. Um, But it's called Q-Ball. And there's a guy by the name of Alan McIntosh, who was actually my cellie for 10 of the years I was in prison. And he's in prison for nonviolent crime. He had a possession of a firearm. They gave him 25 to life for possession of a firearm. Possession of a firearm carries 16 months, two or three years max. But because of the three strikes law, they were able to give him 25 to life. He was 24 years old as well, something like that. So now he's about 50 years old. He's still in prison. He's been in prison 24, 25 years. And... It's just not right. So we're working right now. We're really close to getting him resentenced and getting him released from prison, as well as another guy by the name of Tremel Williams. And Tremel Williams is a guy who was sentenced to 10 years from prison for basically defending himself. Right. He's the average guy. 
you know, goes to work, does his thing. But there was some road rage case here in Los Angeles. And there was some big, swole, you know, muscle bound guy riding with his girlfriend. Feel like this guy cut him off. So the muscle bound guy pins the guy's car on the freeway, uh, on the freeway off ramp jumps out, threatening the guy about what he's going to do to him, showing off in front of his girlfriend, because Tremel Williams is not that big of a guy in stature, physical stature. And basically, he's trying to bully the guy. So Mr. Williams pulls out a pistol and shoots it in the air when the guy rushes him, shoots it in the air and tells him, leave him alone. The guy runs off, jumps in his car, but tails on Mr. Williams. So Mr. Williams ends up going to prison for 10 years for defending him, for defending himself. And he is one of the most community connected guys that I've ever met. I mean, there's so much that he has done. He has done things probably for you that you don't even know about. And this is just some short guy in prison somewhere, but he knows every single person, whether it's politician, professional athlete, uh, entertainer. And I don't want to say he directs them in, but he works with them with, hey, look, in Los Angeles, I need you guys to do this. And in a lot of other states as well, like he really focuses on helping certain communities. And so this guy, to me, would be a super asset to any community, but definitely out here in Los Angeles. And so, you know, we're working right now. We're working with the district attorney's offices. We're trying to get these guys resentenced. We filed the request for resentences for these guys. And we're just hoping that this thing uh, turns out really good for those two guys. Now, there's other guys that we've helped get out. And I love that. You know, I had a neighbor while I was in San Quentin State Prison. There's a really older brother, right? Gray hair, man. I mean, older guy. And his wife and daughter contacted us like, hey, my dad's getting old. He's going to pass away. He's not going to make it too much longer. And we helped this guy get resentenced. Now, he didn't know. I didn't tell people that, hey, I'm United People. I didn't tell people anything like that. Um, but to hear this guy walk down the tier telling everybody, like, man, United People helped me get out. My family, we're getting, we got him resentenced. We got it released. Uh, his mother, his daughter, everybody crying. But I was actually in there with him. He literally lived two doors down from me, right? We're um, you got to remember, I'm right under death row. I'm where Scott Peterson is, the Night Stalker. All these guys are there when I'm there. I'm there for a nonviolent crime for cussing in my living room. But I just named you two of the worst murdering guys there is, right? The guy that killed his wife and baby and the Night Stalker who killed almost everybody, right? But me and this guy lives on the fifth tier. And to watch that old older guy, man, walk down that tier and actually get another shot at life instead of dying in prison for some type of non-violent crime, that was big for me. That was the personal achievement that was big. Now helping these other guys are huge. So what are some of United the People's current ongoing and, and new projects or events that um, are focused on helping these people or, or getting some kind of community outreach going? Well, we have a couple of different things. We have the Reunite campaign where we're trying to press, a, a, and I don't know how familiar you are with George Gascon. He's the head district attorney in uh, Los Angeles. And he's really progressive, right? He, he wants things to just be fair. And he's not saying, hey, let's be easy on the guys that are convicted. But he's not also saying, hey, because they're broke, let's throw them away. They can't defend themselves. Let's steal their life so we can get $88,000 a year for each person. And so he took away the gang and gun enhancement here in Los Angeles and the three strikes they're fighting to get that taken away, but he he's he's trying to get rid of those things here in LA because they're predominantly focused at uh, black or brown or broke people, right? And because they're discretionary, right? Everything that I named to you, everything that I named to you, is not a law that has to be given to each and every person in the state of California. A gang or gun enhancement or a third strike, it's left up to their discretion. 
So when they ran the numbers, if you go to our website at unitedpeople.org, but if you go to our website and you take a look at the Reunite campaign, we actually give you the numbers. We give you the statistics. We're working on that campaign with another organization uh, by the name of Athletes for Impact. And uh, a young lady that runs their organization uh, is a really close friend of mine. Her name is Danielle Frost. And she works with all of the celebrity athletes. She's a super advocate for women. She, she if you look at her website, she's constantly they're working on uh, changing the or fighting or getting rid of the the I don't want to say how do you say it sex trait where they're taking young ladies in slavery and sending them other countries and selling them uh, so she's working on a really great person really great organization but they're working with us on the reunite campaign and we want to change these gang and gun enhancement laws and three strike laws in the whole state of California, the same way Gascon is trying to focus on it in Los Angeles. So you talked about, I was going to ask you about the Reunite campaign, so thank you for talking about it before I could ask. Um, what are some of the issues or projects you want to take on in the future? Um, I know that you talked about the tour um, and you're working on the Reunite campaign. Is there something that you want to tackle in the future that you just like haven't gotten to or something that you like really want to aspire to? Two things. One, uh, we do a lot of work with the homeless, right? We do a lot of work out here in Los Angeles trying to help the homeless. Um, like that's disgusting to me. You got to remember, I've been gone 20 years. When I came home, one of the biggest differences I see in the community is it seems like 20% of the population is homeless. They're everywhere. And they're treated as if they're not there, right? Like I came out of my house one day and, you know, I live in a, you know, nice area. And there's a guy sleep on the sidewalk in front of my house in the freezing cold. I'm freezing. And this guy is just sleep on the sidewalk in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and two mismatched shoes as if this is his bed somewhere, right? So that to me is ugly. And I've talked to a few of our city leaders about what we could do about that. They have no real plans, right? Some of them were even offended that I asked. So coming up with something to help them would be huge. Um, but one of our main focuses and something that is the goal of the organization is I want to open to unite the peoples in every state in the United States. I want there to be two united peoples. I want us to be when the cops do you wrong or the potholes, they won't come fix them no matter what it is. I want people to be able to say, well, you know what? Okay, we're going to call United People then. We want to be that, right? We want to be that social justice organization for everybody, this is not just about being black. This is not about just being broke. It has nothing to do. It has to do with people. That's what we want to be. We want to be there for the people, all the people. And that's the goal. That's the five, 10-year goal, hopefully before. I mean, they kept me in prison. Now I'm 47. You know, I don't have that much of life left. So hopefully before I die, I can leave that. You know, that'd be the legacy I left that, you know what, he actually did come to this world and help people. And before he's gone, that's what he did. So it's a kind of closing question. Um, what are some ways for people, not just college students, but just like anyone who wants to get involved, how would they get involved with not just Unite the People, but like prison work, abolition work, um, like social justice work, how do you kind of advise people to get into that? The best way to get into that, honestly, is call your local nonprofit that deals with prison reform. For instance, for California, if you're in the state of California, you can call us. We get so many people in the state that call us all the time, like, hey, what can I do? And I always tell people that. First thing you have to think of, it's a nonprofit. How do they keep their lights on? If we're charging this, you know, small amount of money, 
but we have to have a large staff in order to help the people. How are they keeping their lights on? Donations are king. You need that. You need funding. It's tax write-offs for the larger companies, but it's still really, 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 really hard to come by, right? Then, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to understand that. But if it's, you're not in the situation to where you can donate, that's okay. You donate your time. We have people that donate their ideas. You know, some people just, hey, can I get on your advisory board? You know, we have people from the Department of Justice, from the, the, the Department of Defense. We have athletes. We have regular citizens on our advisory board. You have, I mean, there's just, there's all kinds of ways. But what I would say is, if you're looking to get rid of, get, get involved in prison reform, if you're looking to get involved in uh, any political base, anything where it's policy, no matter what it may be, that's what we do. We do that as well. And you can give us a call. And whether you're a student or non-student, you give us a call and it's 888-245-9393. Or you can hit us on our website and just say, hey, look, I want to be involved in the social justice aspect of either Unite the People or California or whatever it may be. And if we can't help you, if we're not working on it, I'll definitely be able to, we'll definitely be able to point you in the right direction. So that's, I think, the end of the interview. Thank you for sitting with us, Mr. McDowell, um, and talking with us at UCLA Radio about not just your story, but the kind of progression of Unite the People as as from just an, an idea to this kind of, really community-oriented, um, strong organization. Well, thank you very much. And I appreciate your time and you being so professional and and Priya and Trisha and everybody else that I didn't name. Hey, you guys are wonderful, man. Go Bruins. And, and man, uh, you know, hopefully, and what we're trying to do, to be honest with you, is I was asking Priya about this and, and I'm going to try to figure this out. The first event that we're going to do, I want to do it at UCLA. The first community outreach tour, I would love to do it. I had a niece that was in law school at UCLA just a year or two ago, and I would love to start our tour off there. So if anybody at UCLA knows who or how we should get in contact with someone, we're trying to start that tour in March. Mm -hmm. And... You know, if you give us a call, send us an email, ask for Caesar McDowell or send an email to our outreach at unitedpeople.org. That's our email for a lot of our social justice stuff. You send us an email like, hey, I know how we can make this happen. We want to do it on the weekends, not a weekday. And we'll, we'll definitely talk to you. <laughs>